Hello, this is Frank Bellarani. I'm a professor at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences in Boston. The CDC reports that each day over 130 Americans die from an opiate overdose and more than 2.5 million Americans suffer from an opiate use disorder. We also know that over 400,000 Americans have died from an opiate overdose since 1999. I'm working on a project with a number of students and we're capturing the work being done by individuals and organizations that are on the front line of the opiate epidemic. Our goal in this project is to shed light on individuals and organizations who are working every day to make the lives of others better as they deal with the impact of this deadly and insidious healthcare crisis. Today, I would like to welcome Mary Wheeler, Program Director of Healthy Streets Outreach in Lynn, Massachusetts. Mary, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Mary, you have first first-hand insight and knowledge about the opiate epidemic that's impacting Lynn and every community in Massachusetts. I also know you've been doing harm reduction work with people who use drugs, primarily opiates, since 2000. I've been to your center in Lynn, and I can see and feel the comfort and caring you provide for many who have no place else to go. It's an amazing operation. Mary, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and what prompted you to become one of the resources for people who use drugs in Massachusetts? Um, I grew up in a really small town in Connecticut where there was a lot of heroin use from a family where there was familial substance use and alcoholism and kind of as I, I grew up knowing folks who'd passed from overdose and it made a lot of sense to me to do this work, um, working with folks who use drugs and sex workers and harm reduction seemed to fit best with me. I felt like it was you know, built on philosophy, built on love and respect and unconditional care and services for people. Yeah, that's, you know, so many people have, have seen things up front and personal, and it's really, we're really fortunate to have people like yourself who are actually going to step in and try to do something about it. So, so I, I'm really appreciative of everything you've been doing, and I, and I know you've been working hard at this for almost 20 years now. So can you, can yeah. you discuss how you, how you how you see the opiate epidemic in Lynn in Massachusetts overall? Do you see it getting better or worse? And and how has the community responded to the problem? I think Lynn is an incredible city, not just because I work here and live here and have for a long time. There's so many services in Lynn, which I, I know is a point of contention for people where they say, you know, we don't want all these services here. It brings too many people to the city that struggle with homelessness, mental health, substance use, but I look at it more like Lynn is taking full responsibility for its people and really making sure that there's every kind of service available to the people that live in this city. I feel like things in Lynn are getting better for the first time in many, many years. We've been able to reduce the number of overdoses, both fatal and non-fatal in the city. Lynn has had That's access great. to naloxone for, yeah, for since, um, legal access to naloxone since 2007, but underground organizations were providing naloxone in the city for several years prior to that. I think overall in Massachusetts, I don't know if I would say it's getting better. I would say it's getting different. I know for us, we off, we uh, operate syringe exchange. So we work with people who are still using substances to try and curb the spread of HIV, Hep C, help folks engage in care, meet them where they're at. We access substance use treatment for folks whenever they want, as many times as they want. 
and we offer transportation. We have nurses on staff. So we do, we try and cover all the bases with people to keep them as healthy as possible while they're engaged in active substance use. Well, that's pretty amazing. So, you know, it's encouraging to hear that, that you're seeing things getting better in Lynn. So, you know, is it, is it the, just the amount of focus and dedication from, from people like yourself in your organization? Is it access to naloxone? What, what would you, what would you say maybe other communities can, can do something similar? I think Lynn offers every level of care for people. So they offer harm reduction services, both through us and the Lynn Community Health Center. They have medical care for people. They have access to naloxone. They have syringe exchange. They have medically assisted treatment. They have residential houses for people to live in post detox. Um, Union Hospital closing is, is not great, but Salem Hospital, which is the next town over, has increased their services for folks who have substance use disorder. They've increased their beds for people who have dual diagnosis or struggling with mental health. Lynn has a homeless shelter, which houses a lot of people in um, single room occupancies and helps people get housed. There's family shelters here. So I think the city touches on every kind of level of care that people need rather than maybe just Great. having 12 sober houses, they have a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's wonderful. So can can we talk a little bit about about the operation that you're, you're the director of the Healthy Street Outreach Program, your mission and, yeah. and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? On a day-to-day -day basis, even though being the director, I just finished cleaning the client bathroom after a <laughs> <laughs> dope sick emergency yesterday. So I do it all. But uh Healthy Street started in the city in, in 1991, way before my time, um, by folks who were using drugs, living with HIV AIDS, people who are homeless. There were some nurses involved, um, a woman that runs my brother's table, which is the only soup kitchen in the city of Lynn, um, all got together and were working on addressing HIV among people who inject drugs, as well as overdose. And they had a lot of hurdles to overcome over the many years, including being arrested and all kinds of things. So I started at Healthy Streets in 2005. And since the beginning of the program in 1991, we've ended up being, we have, you know, Needle Exchange in Lowell, Lynn, Salem, and Chelsea. We operate five door knock programs where we go out with first responders post overdose. Um, do well-being checks, make sure people are okay. We have a full-time drop-in center. We do HIV STD testing all across the Northeast. So we do a lot on a day-to-day -day basis. But yeah. I guess if you're more curious about one piece, I can explain that. Otherwise, you'll have me on the phone for about an hour and a half explaining everything that we do. Yeah, I, I know you do a tremendous amount. And I'm curious about the um, the door knocking and going out to people who who either themselves or a family member has had an overdose. How how does that, what's the reception when you go to people's houses after an overdose? Pretty consistently, it's, it's <clears throat> excuse me, appreciative, grateful, sometimes surprised. It's very rare that we have people, um, you know, slam a door in our face. You know, we just kind of knock on the door. We have addresses that we get from first responders. Yeah. The harm reduction staff takes the lead, so we're the first base that they see. They don't first see a firefighter or a police officer. 
they see us. A lot of times they already know us from other places. If we don't know the person, we just kind of say, hey, we're following up on a medical emergency. We're not sure if we have the right address. And then we explain who we are, what we're doing there, ask them if they need Narcan right off the bat to keep in the home. And then if they have any other questions or want any services, we'll kind of stay there as long as we can. And then our program does any follow-up case management that we don't include the first responders in. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And familiar with Perry and yep. kind of related, but unrelated, the bridge program that's cropping up like in a couple of Boston hospitals? And yep, we, the bridge clinic. Yeah. We have one in Lynn, too. Oh, you do? Oh, that's wonderful. Yep. Who runs the bridge we clinic have, in Lynn? So we got a grant, well, not us, but Lynn Community Health Center got a grant <clears throat> for two years from RISE to operate a bridge clinic. Um, nice. So the way it works is they have an outreach worker and they have us and we all partner together we have clinic time where we can bring people. I mean, they, they're open to us Monday through Friday whenever we want. Um, we just call or text and say, hey, we've got somebody for Suboxone. And they say, okay, see you in 15 minutes. And then uh, they do the, you know, the two-day script. And then the person comes back. And they allow, you know, a little threshold follow-up. People don't have to make appointments. They don't have to go to the clinic. And then they get transitioned to the orange team at the health center once they're a bit more stable, which yeah. offers more treatment than just the suboxone. Oh, yeah. So when you talk about the two-day script, you're talking about suboxone. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. They'll okay. also do Vivitrol or naltrexone for us, okay. but not methadone. Yeah. Okay. So um, what's your sense as to why we're in this healthcare crisis? What, what are some of the root causes as you see them? Oh, God. Poverty, racism. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I read a thing the other day where a woman said, you know, my son passed away in 2011 right at the start of the opioid epidemic. And I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know, there's been opioids in this country for many, many years. And I, I understand yeah. it's escalated since the early 90s. But, um, you know, the drug war making criminalizing drug use and drug users. And obviously here with our opioid epidemic, we have a lot of involvement with pharmaceutical companies that didn't help us at all. Yeah. And now we have a fentanyl crisis and yeah. people about, move in slow motion. How about healthcare providers? Do you think that they may have played a role by buying the bait from the pharmaceutical companies and overprescribing and do you see any, any positive movement among healthcare providers? So healthcare providers don't get a lot of training on substance use disorder. Mm. They don't get good training on substance use disorder most of the time. I think that there's probably some individuals that knew what they were doing when they were prescribing those medications, but I think there was plenty of providers that didn't and had full faith in the pharmaceutical companies and understood like, yeah, we need to treat pain. Pain is the fifth vital sign. I want my patients to be comfortable. So I think now we're going backwards to a place where it's hurting people just as much in a different way, kind of an unintended consequence where people can't get access to medications that they need. So they are buying drugs in the street, opening them up to, you know, overdose deaths, criminal yeah. charges, and then, just kind of a lack of understanding of how to really 
practice healthcare with people who are using substances and have mental health. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know if you know Steve Wood or not, but he he did a, a study on the um, prescription drug monitoring program in Florida, and what he found was the number of prescriptions for opiates dropped off dramatically, but the number of opiate deaths kept rising. And you know, it's kind of the that whole movement towards making things tighter. But pe- if people are addicted, they're going to find a they're going to find it someplace. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you can you discuss what keeps you interested and motivated in, in doing the work that you do day in and day out, which I know is a I tremendous just love the people. I love the people that we get to work with. I've had people say, oh, don't you want to advance your career, do something different? And I'm like, well, I love doing needle exchange and harm reduction. I think it's, it's where I fit. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's wonderful. I just really enjoy being around the program participants and, yeah, you know. Can, can you share a story about one or more people that you've worked with that has had a big impact on you? And Oh, God, so many. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the women that worked with me, she was a program participant using, and we wrote a grant to hire her on as a peer educator, so she didn't necessarily have to stop using drugs, um, but we were able to pay her. She ended up coming on as staff. She worked with us for 10 years. Um, she ended up leaving the program and within the first year of her leaving, she died of an overdose. Um, and so that for me had like a very big impact because I kind of knew that that was going to happen because yeah. we offered her some level of stability. Um, you know, I see her and, you know, I think about her every day and she's still so special to a lot of the participants here. And then, you know, I have folks that we work with that, you know, we've sent to treatment probably 50 or more times and they just, every single time they relapse, we're their first stop. And I think those folks are the ones that are super special to me because they know that regardless of what they're doing or how they're doing it, we'll always treat them with respect and kindness. That's so so amazing because that, that, that in and of itself just is so unusual and there are so many people and even highly educated people who who still think that this is a choice that it's or it's weak weak character and and you know to have people out there like yourself who who are truly understanding and um and open is wonderful you know, we also I, have a I girl was, who used to oh go ahead no i was going to tell you about you know in this um, last november my my son lost his best friend and um yeah i mean it was heartbreaking and you know he had spent many summers with us and and um you know we they'd kind of drifted apart the last couple of years but you know he was just a wonderful wonderful person and you know unfortunately his older brother had died the previous year of, of an overdose oh, and God. Um, and i'll never forget the wake you know <clears throat> like holding and rocking both parents it was like just an, an you know unbelievable experience and um you know it's just uh there's so much um you know that none of this should you know so so little of this should be happening but you know um but anyway so let let me let me ask you a question mary um how about barriers and constraints that make your work more difficult that you like to see removed or changed 
Um, I would like, you know, people to be able to be more comfortable being honest about their drug use. I know there's a lot of anti-stigma campaigns, but generally when people are still using substances, they're still stigmatized in Massachusetts. So I think doing a better job um, being more tolerant of people that are not in recovery. I think having more access to post-detox treatment beds. You know, we have a ton of detox beds. We can, you know, that's, you know, politicians, often say oh we increased treatment beds and sure you did but you did detox beds we don't have anywhere to put people when they get out of detox so they just come right back to the street and it's so frustrating of course people being arrested for you know minor drug-related crimes having a longer and longer criminal history which makes it harder for people to get access to work housing <laughs> you know yeah. all those little things <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah, <clears throat> the whole thing that makes recovery possible, right? So yeah, housing and and a job is like two extremely hard things yeah. for us to make happen. We have a lot yeah. of people that come back to the needle exchange to ask for help with resume or job search because they know us; they're comfortable here, even when they're not using substances anymore. And it's horrible to be like, "I'm sorry, I can't. We're not going to be able to get you a job. I don't know what to tell you." Like. Yeah, it is horrible. It's uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see a change to that. But I, I hear you totally. It's like part of the recovery has got to be giving these people second chances and helping them <clears throat> with things to get them back on their feet. Yeah, and second chances at jobs that pay a meaningful wage where they can actually live. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's not just for people who use drugs, obviously, but right, right. in this context. Yeah. So how about what what can individuals do? What can students at you know MCPHS and other universities what what could they do with regard to this epidemic to to play a role to to try to make things better? Um for me, it's simple things like be kind to people. Please don't make videos of people who are homeless or using drugs and post them on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um once you become a pharmacist, if you do, be patient with people, make sure they have access to the medications that they need, no matter how you feel about them having those medications. Um, kind of remove your own morality from the situation and think about, you know, how would you want someone to treat you if you were having a difficult time? That's great advice, Mary. Thank you. Thank you so much. So. <laughs> You know, it's always such, it's, and I really mean, it's always such an honor and, and a pleasure to, to talk to you. So I learned oh, so much. I get so much by, by talking with you. So you're, you're, you've done such great work and you're such a, a role model for, for so many people. So so thank, thank you. you so much for, for taking oh, you're the time very today. Welcome. And, and I hope I'll see you soon. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much.